So this Christmas Eve, brothers and sisters, we as a church are continuing a series that we've been going through for a few Sundays now called The Christmas Story of Redemption. As you can see that in your bulletin on the last page. And in this series, we are primarily, we've been primarily talking about the overarching story of the whole entire Bible, which has often been called the story of redemption. But as we do so, we've also been connecting it to Jesus and his coming at Christmas 2,000 years ago. And thus far, we've talked about creation, then the fall when sin and sorrow entered our universe. And then two Sundays ago, we talked about redemption foreshadowed with the story of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And then finally, this past Sunday, we talked about redemption promised. As in the Old Testament, God promised that he would send and he would come as a savior and a king for Israel and for the whole world. So that's where we've been. But now for this evening, we'll zoom in on what we'll call redemption accomplished. And what this means is simply if the whole Old Testament was foreshadowing Christ's redemption, and then if in God in the Old Testament was also promising his redemption, now this evening, very briefly, we'll see how it actually happened, how it was accomplished. And of course, there's many places we could go to see that, especially the death and resurrection accounts of Jesus. But for our sake this evening, since it is Christmas Eve, and since this will be a shorter message, we're just going to look at that one verse we just read in Matthew 1, verse 21. And we did talk about this verse a little bit last Sunday, if you were here. But this evening, what we're going to do together is we're going to break that verse down and focus in on the clarity and the beauty of what the angel says about Jesus, both to Joseph, but also to us this evening. Because this really, as we're going to see, is what Christmas is all about. And it summarizes redemption being accomplished. And to do so, we're quickly in this message going to focus on three parts of what the angel says to Joseph and to us. Three parts. And in it all, our goal is going to be to really see why Jesus came at Christmas. Because whether you're here tonight and you've been a Christian a while and you've been coming to ECC for some time or whether you're newer here tonight and don't know much about Jesus, I hope we'll all see that this one verse, just one verse, Matthew 1.21, is a great verse to sum up why Jesus came and what he did for the world in redemption. And so again, we'll cover it in three parts and we'll just reveal those parts as we go. And we will begin, though, in the first part of the verses. You can see there, because the angel first tells Joseph here, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And so the son is going to be born, and his name is going to be Jesus. And we might read that, especially about Jesus' name, and think it's not that important. Or we may be so used to hearing the name Jesus, especially in our culture, even if you don't trust in him this evening, that we may skip over really the importance and wondering what his name means. But in reality, his name was intentional and important. And in fact, this is technically what's going on in the story. The angel is telling Joseph about the importance of why this is his name. And so what does Jesus mean? Well, in Hebrew... Jesus' name was Yeshua. And Yeshua very clearly comes from two words. First, Ye, coming from Yahweh, which was God's very name he revealed for himself in the Old Testament. 
God's name wasn't nor isn't God. Because God, if you think about it, is technically a title, like the title king. Instead, God's name that he decided to reveal in the Old Testament was and is Yahweh. And so that's the first part of Jesus' name. But then the second half of Jesus' name comes from the Hebrew verb to save, shua, to deliver. And so in very brief, who is this Jesus? He's Yahweh, the one and true God from the Old Testament, the Lord God creator coming to save, to deliver. And although that's very basic and maybe you knew that, that actually is quite significant. Because think about it, almost everyone in the world acknowledges some sort of God. Atheism in reality is so rare in our world. Instead, the vast, vast majority of people in most places at most times believe in the existence of God. And that's because God is real and he made us to know him. And and so although we're very much fallen sinners, we all, all over the world, still have a residue of the reality of God in each of our hearts. But still, the question we all have then is, but who is God? And Jesus' very name tells us the real God is Yahweh. And not only that, but the real God is Yahweh who's coming to save. And that then shows us the foundational center of Christmas and even of the whole Christian message. Because even just in Jesus' name, We see at least three huge things. First, that God is real. And by real, we mean, as Pastor Francis Schaeffer used to say, that he is the God who is there. Meaning he's not some nice spiritual thought in our minds. No, he's a personal God outside of us. Then second, Jesus' name shows us that God is not only real, but specifically the one who has the title God in the universe is Yahweh. The God of the Bible the Lord God creator. But finally, third, and perhaps most importantly, Jesus' name shows us that this Yahweh God isn't some removed, uninvolved God. Even though I'm sure for many of us, when we're prone to think of the word God, we might think of him like that. Instead, we see here that this Yahweh God comes to save, which is really good for people like you and me who deep down, if we're honest, know that we need some sort of saving. And so that's our first part. His name is Jesus. That then leads us though perfectly to our second part. And so Joseph was told to call him Jesus, and then the angel says in the same verse, as you can see, for or because he will save. And so hopefully now that makes a lot of sense, because that's literally what Jesus means. Yahweh saves. But now notice not only that, but the angel makes clear that he will save. And I especially bring this up because in the original Greek, if you're reading this in the original language, the he there is emphatic. And emphatic. And so it could be translated, and probably should be translated as he himself will save. And here's why that really matters. So again, I know that may sound basic, but now think about how different this is from so many other ways of thinking about the world and religions and how, and how much this impacts how we're prone to think about religion. Because in so many other worldviews, 
What happens is they think that someone special comes maybe from their God, like let's say Muhammad, or someone comes who's very spiritually enlightened, like a Buddha, but those religious leaders' primary goal isn't really for themselves to save others. Instead, if you think about it, their goal is to direct others to do what they need to do in order to save themselves. And sometimes many people think of Jesus like that. Sure, we might admit he's special, maybe even God, but when really pressed, sometimes we can tend to think that Jesus and Christianity mainly are about Jesus teaching us to be good and really just loving people with Jesus' goal then being to enable us to live so much better that we essentially save ourselves. I mean, we can be prone to think that it's really about becoming really moral, that Christianity is about us turning over a new leaf And doing that through good living. But that's not the essence of the Christian gospel. And I know we repeat this sometimes a lot here at ECC. But it's so important for us to get. And even as Christians, it's so important for us to hear this over and over. Because the Christian message, the Christmas message, isn't that God comes to to do something that then allows us to pick ourselves back up by our bootstraps and finally choose to live for good things instead of bad. That is not the message. Instead, the Christian and the Christmas message is God comes to save and he himself will save. And then connected to that, that, that's then why he will save as a promise, not as something that may or may not happen. Because let's be honest, if he just came to enable us to be moral people and that was our salvation, then how could we have any confidence that we will be saved? We couldn't. And that's why if you study any religion that is all about being good, whether in something like Islam or in a lot of so-called Christian circles that get the message wrong, what you'll find is a lot of people so unsure about their salvation and their standing with God. And that's because if salvation is on us at all, there's no confidence that it will happen. But if on the other hand, God comes And he's set on saying that he himself will save us. Not because of anything in us, but because he's the one saving. If God decides to do that, then of course, since he's God, it will happen. Which then leads us to our third thing to see in this verse. His name is Jesus. He himself will save. But now notice what he saves from. He will save his people from their sins. And now first think about this in the historical context. Because remember, this is the coming Jewish Messiah here. The coming Savior and King. And at this time in history, around 2,000 years ago, as you might know, the Jews were under the control of the Romans. And so they were primarily interpreting the promises of God of a coming Messiah to be about political salvation. To be a political savior. Someone who would save them from their political oppression. And that's because at the time they really thought that above all else, what they needed to be rescued from, delivered from, was their societal circumstances and the oppression by Rome. 
And we can think of similar things when we might consider what we think God needs to rescue each one of us from. Perhaps it's also, you're thinking, political circumstances that we need to be saved from. Or perhaps you also think that you need to really be rescued from some certain illness or work situation or financial struggle or anxiety and the list for all of us could go on. And let's be clear, right? God really cares about those things in his people. He really does. The, the Bible makes clear with our sufferings and sorrows that God is closer to us than we know and all that we're going through. He has good, wise plans. And the Bible's clear that for those of us who know him, we will be one day delivered from our, all sin and sorrow. And, and I do encourage you to come Sunday where we're going to finish this series and we are going to be talking about God's restoration and how beautiful it is in the future. And yet, with all that said, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is that God came to save his people from their sins. That's how redemption was promised and accomplished. And the reason for this is because sin really is our biggest issue for each one of us in this room and for the whole entire world. And we talked about that a lot on Sunday, so we won't repeat it all here. But God coming to save and deliver his people from their sins actually makes the most sense because sin really is the biggest issue with us in our world. And so saving us from that is the most loving thing that he can do. But now for this evening, for another angle, to see how this saving from sin makes sense, think of it this way. Not only is sin the biggest issue for us in our need of redemption, but also... Consider how this was the biggest issue for God in the story of redemption as well. If that sounds confusing, here's what I mean by that. It is not that God himself is a sinner. Of course not. Instead, remember, we're talking about the story of redemption. And it all began with this good God creating everything really good. And then the universe and we in it fell. But God always knew that this was going to happen. And he knew that this redemption was always his plan, that he'd one day restore this universe and make it all right again. And yet, the thing that God needed to do in order for that to happen was to somehow forgive sin and remove it from his people and from the world and do that in a good and right and just way. And in fact, when you really dig into the New Testament, and especially books like the book of Romans, this is the biggest issue. It's how can God, who is perfectly good, and he knows how awful and gross sin is, how can he in redemption just all of a sudden remove sin in order to make everything right again? And it's, and it's actually not an easy question to answer. Because for a smaller picture of what we're talking about on a cosmic scale, imagine a courtroom where someone who is truly guilty of something is there, and then where in that room there's a bunch of people who were really hurt by what this one person did. And then imagine that everyone knew that beyond a shadow of a doubt that this person was guilty of what they did. It was proven. Well, ask yourself, what would happen if then a judge 
looked at all that, looked at that whole courtroom, at the, at the person who is guilty and everyone that was impacted and hurt by what that person did. And what if the judge just then simply said, whatever, I just remove all this and I declare that now it doesn't matter. That'd be a travesty. That would be injustice. And so, the issue of redemption from God's side was always that. That he, as not only a loving God, but a just and righteous and good God who cares about wrong, needed to somehow remove sin from this world and not just sweep it under the rug like it's no big deal. Because it is a big deal. That would be injustice. That'd be a travesty. And that's why Jesus came. Because the point of Jesus' coming at Christmas here and the point of redemption accomplished is that he came, Jesus, he lived a perfect life. He didn't deserve to die and yet he did die. But again, not because he deserved it, but because he was rightly taking upon himself the sin of others so that others could go free. Or, or to say it another way, to use our picture in that courtroom, Jesus essentially stood up and said, I'll take that just punishment on myself. And then he took it for all of his people. And then to prove that he really did, he rose from the grave. And therefore, in doing so, he proved that not only is he Yahweh God who comes to save, but he's Yahweh God who can save while still being good and just and not sweeps in under the rug. Or to say it most simply, Jesus' coming, life, death, and resurrection allowed the living God, is how the Bible puts it, to be both, number one, a good and righteous and just judge in his treatment of real wrong and hurt in this world. And number two, it allowed God to be merciful to sinners like us, thus accomplishing redemption. So that's the promise of redemption accomplished. And it's all here at Christmas in verse 21. Jesus Christ is God, Yahweh, coming to save. And the angel says he will do it and he did do it. And specifically, he saves his people from their sins. Which leads us to one last thing to see here. And that's the only thing, if you just look at verse 21, that we haven't talked about much from this verse. And it's the fact, as you can see, that Jesus does this, that God does this, for his people. He will save his people from their sins. And, and let's be honest, out of all that's there in verse 21, this is probably the hardest for many of us to swallow. But we need to notice it not only because it's here in verse 21, but also because this is a big part of the gospel, which means that it's good news. Because on the one hand, yes, this does mean that God has a specific people. The Bible is clear about that over and over and over. And we might hear that and think, oh no, well, am I part of the people? And we will talk about that in a minute. But then on the other hand, this is good news for the same exact reason, but thought about in a slightly different way. Because it means that God in the Bible already has his people. Meaning God on his own has his people. And so just like salvation does not depend on you and me, nor does being part of God's people ultimately depend on you and me. 
And this is why this really matters as well. Because the fact that God knows his people made up of individuals from all over the world shows us that salvation for individuals like you and me from beginning to end really is all of God. And that's a good thing. Because again, if any of it was ultimately on us, if even ultimately being part of God's people was on us, it'd be a little up in the air. And so instead, God always had a people that he himself will save. Or as Jesus said, he has a flock, he has sheep, and his sheep will hear his voice and follow him. And yet, now as we close, to bring this now home, you may be thinking on this, well, what about me? Where do I fit in this idea of God having his people that he will save from their sins? And it's a good question. But, but the simple answer from the whole Bible is God's people reveal themselves as his people simply by genuinely trusting Jesus. That's it. And so very simply, the way you know you're part of God's saved people, that you're part of this redemption accomplished that we've seen, is simply to trust Jesus. That's it. It's to trust Jesus for this redemption, for this salvation that entered into space and time in our universe 2,000 years ago at Christmas. And if you do, it's not that you make yourself part of God's people by doing that. Instead, if you trust Jesus, it's that you'll prove God has always had you as one of his own. You'll prove that in this grand sweeping plan of redemption from, from Genesis 3 all the way through the Old Testament to, to Christ, to the early church, to where we are now, you'll prove that God has always had you in mind. You'll prove if you trust in Jesus that you're saved, not because of you, not even technically because you believed, but because Jesus saves his people from their sins. And so if you're here and, and you don't trust Jesus Christ personally this Christmas Eve, I, I pray you leave here this evening doing so. Remember Christmas Eve on 2021 being maybe the time you trusted in Jesus for the first time in your life. As we're about to, after this light candles in this room, I pray you see that the, the darkness represents your and my unfaithfulness and sin. But Jesus came as the light to save dark, unfaithful sinners like you and me. But if, on the other hand, you're here, and by God's grace you do trust Jesus, then the good news is that although we're still sinners, and on our own, overall unfaithful, we can have certainty of our salvation this Christmas. You and I can have joyful confidence that we're saved now and forever. And it's not because of us. It's not because of how good we are. Not at all. Instead, it's all because God is real, he came, his name is Jesus, and he himself saves his people from their sins. Amen? Amen, church. Let's pray.